sheaves, these, these wolves in sheep clothing. I can't speak this morning. Um, I believe the church today looks too much like the world. We listen to the same music. We watch the same movies. Our speech is no different than theirs. Our lives are the same. Really, I guess the only real difference between us and the world is that we attend church on Sunday. I see it all the time, and it bothers me. It bothers me terribly. Um, I told you not too long ago about a pastor that I saw on Facebook bragging about sitting on the beach drinking a margarita. That bothered me. This past week, there was a young lady that Melissa and I both know very well, and I'd found out probably a year or two ago that she attended church, which I was really glad to hear because the rumor had been going around that she was a lesbian, so I was really glad to hear that she attended church. And just a a sweet young lady, and this past week, she came in and and she was giving some of the guys a hard time and talking about how she was going to kick their rear ends. And while she was saying all of that, she used a few choice cuss words. I remember just how disappointed I was, just how blown away I was. I just, it just disheartened me. And then it wasn't a day or two later, there's a gentleman that I have a lot of respect for. He, he attends church and goes on mission trips and everything else, and, and he's a runner, does a lot of running, runs lots and lots of miles, and uh, he came in. He doesn't like running inside of the gym, and one day he come in to run in on the treadmill. Well, we just started kind of rousing him and giving him a, a little trouble about him or kind of teasing him about having to run on the treadmill. And there was two of us that was standing there, and he turned around and he flipped us both off. And that bothered me. I'm like, is there no separation between us and the world? Is there anything about us that looks different than the world? What type of music do we, does the music that we listen to glorify God, or does it glorify something else? Does the movies that we watch glorify God or does it glorify something else? What is it about the the church today that we want to look and need to look a lot like the world? I believe the church today is in trouble. Now listen, I'm not saying that the stuff that these two, as, as, I, as I spoke about these here, the pastor and the man and the woman, I'm not saying that they're not Christians. I, I'm not saying that. I don't know. That's between them and God. But I will say that it does not say at all for them that I am a Christian. The actions that they take says nothing at all that I am a Christian that I am a part of the church, that I am following Jesus Christ. Does our life say to others, I am a Christian? 
that I follow Christ, that I am a part of the church. You see, the problem is that we're so worried about the here and now that we rarely consider the by and by. We want to fit in. We want to be one of the guys. You see, that's the draw of the modern apostate teacher. They cater to this life. They cater to the desires of this flesh. They talk more about health and wealth, which is for the here and now, and less about repentance and holiness, which is not just for this life, but it's also for the by and by. I heard one apostate teacher tell his listeners, he said, go down to the local car lot. Find the car you want. Sit down in that car and claim it. And when the dealer comes by and says, what are you doing? You tell him I claim this car in the name of Jesus. That's the here and now. He didn't tell him what to do when the cops showed up. And this is the problem. If it didn't work out for him, then it's your problem because you didn't have the faith to do it. I heard him say that. You know, many churches have changed their focus. They've changed their focus from clear teachings of Scripture to the felt needs of sinners. We need to make it comfortable. We need to make it non-confrontational. We need to make it appealing so that they'll come into church. We need to entertain them. We need to have the best music and the best musicians and the best light shows. We got to do, we got to compete with the world. Where does it say that in the word of God? Or maybe we come in and we preach the truth. And thin out the ones that are here for the wrong reason. Hmm. You know, we're more concerned about filling the pews than we are about changing the lives of the people that are in the pews. And listen, if we are to survive this onslaught of false teaching, we need to strengthen our armor. We need to strengthen our armor, and we need to be more discerning, less tolerant to error. We need to be able to recognize the difference between the truth and a lie. You see, Paul feared that the Corinthians would be deceived in 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 4, he says, I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. He says, please bear with me, for I am jealous for you with a jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you. 
Even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. He said, you put up with it. You allow it to happen. You hear it and you know it's wrong, and yet you continue to let them do it. And Jesus told the religious leaders that they were more discerning about the weather than they were about spiritual things. Matthew 16, 1 through 4. One day the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. He replied, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You now know how to interpret the weather, signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give you, give them, is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then Jesus left them and he went away. But listen, we as Christians need discernment. We need discernment. We need to be able to decide and to understand when the false teachers are around. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 22 through 22 says this. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. He says, listen, listen to them when they teach. And when they teach, you make sure that what they're teaching lines up with the word of God. And if it doesn't, then you need to discard that and discard them. Do not take part in the evil. So listen, here are a few reasons that the church today is lacking discernment. Number one, they minimize the importance of doctrine. Watered-down gospel messages that are man-centered, experience-based, focused on temporal satisfactions and external success. Number two, instead of black and white, they all see gray. The Bible is full of absolute truths. They want them to be open to interpretation. And you know, Jesus taught in black and white. Right? There was the broad and the narrow. There was eternal life. There was eternal damnation. There was the kingdom of Satan. There was the kingdom of God. There was love and there was hate. There was black and there was white. Number three, in order to reach the culture, we must become like the culture. I seen an article yesterday. Just yesterday, I seen an article about a church in Texas that is now embracing the LGBTQ organization. They were an Assembly of God church. They separated from the Assemblies of God. But they done it so that they could cater to the LGBTQ organizations. James 4.4 4 says this, You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
We cannot change the church to be friends with the world. Because that makes us an enemy of God. Number four, lack of diligence by church leaders when studying and teaching God's word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. They have become lazy. They preach the easy things. Instead of getting in and studying and, 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 and researching and trying to go in deep, they just skim across the surface. They just hit the highlights. We've become lazy. But listen, that doesn't negate our responsibility to verify what we hear. We're still responsible to make sure that we, that our teachers and our leaders are giving us the truth. Acts 17, 11 says, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. This was Paul. Paul came in and he says, Listen, I commend you as a church for making sure that everything I say, <coughs> excuse me, and everything that I preach lines up with the word of God. And there is no church discipline. When was the last time you heard of church discipline, of some church taking an action? The thing that we always see when we study Scripture is that God always dealt harshly with Israel when there was sin in the camp. He held all responsible when there was sin in the camp. And yet today, in the name of tolerance, sin goes unchecked in the church. And all of these combined, all of those that we just looked at, all of them combined, causes a church to lack spiritual maturity. All of them. We, we seem like a bunch of little kids. Like a bunch of immature kids. Don't give me a bunch of rules. That's your truth. I want to be liked by everyone. It's, not, it's just too hard to study. Live and let live. It's none of my business. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again and to teach you the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training and have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. He said, you've been in church long enough. You ought to be getting into the deeper things of God. And I have to keep coming in and teaching you that it's wrong to lie. That it's wrong, that homosexuality is wrong, that abortion is wrong. All of that stuff should be elementary. You should be going for the deeper stuff now, the, the more important, the, the deeper things of God, and we have to keep touching on the highlights. 
That's because we're so immature. So listen, Jude wants to strengthen our armor. The last part of his letter, he's going to teach us how to strengthen our armor, which we're going to cover this week, and how to help others to strengthen their armor, which we'll cover next week. So look with me at Jude 17. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. Remember God's word. The first thing he, that, that Jude tells us is that we need to remember the things that we were taught before. And in order to be able to do that, that means we have to get into the Word of God. That means we have to study the Word of God. That means we have to hide the Word of God in our heart that we might not sin against God. You see, from the very beginning, Genesis 3.1, Satan has attacked the Word of God. Nothing new. Genesis 3.1, yea, hath God said? Did God really say that? Did God really say that you shouldn't eat of the fruit of the tree? Did he really say that? You know why he said that, right? Because he's afraid. And so Satan, from the very beginning, has distorted the word of God and today continues to distort the word of God. You see, the greatest defense against a counterfeit is to learn the real thing in and out. The greatest defense of false teachers who come in with lies and false teachings is to know the truth. And so when they begin to teach a lie, a red flag goes up and the Holy Spirit's able to speak to you and to say, hey, there's something wrong with what they're saying. I know because I read it somewhere. I know because we studied it in Sunday school class. I know because I heard it in a message. What they're saying is wrong, and then we go back and we double-check and we make sure. But he says, listen, we need to remember that Jesus, the apostles, they have been warning us about these apostate teachers for a long time. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7.15, he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothings. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven twelve through 15, he says, And what I am doing, I will continue to do, in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. In other words, they claim to be teachers of God. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And then Peter, in 2 Peter 2.1, he says this, But there were also false prophets among the people, 
Just as there will be false teachers among you, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, <coughs> even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. And then finally, John, in 1 John 4, 1, he says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Listen, teacher after teacher, apostle after apostle, each of them come to us and say, listen, beware of the prophets, of the teachers, of the apostate teachers that are out there. Make sure that you're in the word of God so when they're teaching you, they're not deceiving you with their lies. You've been warned over and over and over again. You've been warned. And then Paul even tells us why they do it. Acts chapter 20 and verse 30 says this, verse 32. Now, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and to give you, I'm sorry, wrong one, Acts 20, 30. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things. Why? To draw away the disciples after them. They want to draw you away from the truth. They want to draw you out of a church that's teaching the true word of God to bring you into their lie. He says this will take place in the last time or in the last days. The last days started at the first coming of Christ and will continue until the second coming of Christ. We're in the last times. It started when Christ was upon the earth. So the last times, following their own ungodly lusts. You see, when they preach more, listen to what they preach about. When they preach more about things that satisfy us in this life, more on happiness than holiness, more on riches than righteousness, more on health than heaven, more on getting than giving, more on satisfying the flesh than separating from sin, then beware. Listen to what they teach. <coughs> what is the bulk of, there's nothing wrong with teaching those good things, but when all they teach is to, to reach the flesh or to make you feel good about this life, we have an issue And then it says that they separate themselves. Or that it, some translations say they cause division. Now, what this says is, is that they portray themselves as having more insight. They have more insight than other preachers. They have more insight than other teachers. They have a deeper knowledge, a better understanding of prophecy. They're masters at the prophecy. They understand all of this stuff. They have a more fulfilling religion because they understand more than regular preachers do. They're more inclusive. And anyone who questions them is just flat wrong. Just all there is to it. And then it says, then Jude says, they are sensual without the spirit sensual having not the spirit 
The literal translation is soulish. They are soulish. Soulish is the opposite of spiritual. They cannot be spiritual because they do not have the Spirit of God in them. That's what Jude's saying. It's impossible for them to be spiritual because the Spirit of God is not in them. They have nothing but religious showmanship. That's all they have is religious showmanship. So listen, how can we tell the difference between soulish and spiritual? By the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So we can tell the difference between those who are fleshly or soulish, as Jude put, and spiritual. In other words, they are physically alive, but they are spiritually dead. Titus 1.16 says, They profess to know God, but their deeds they deny him being detestable and disobedient and worthless of any good deed. Now, look at verse 20 with me in Jude. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Listen, if we are to protect ourselves, we must remain on the road to sanctification, on the road of sanctification. Listen, sanctification is a big word just to say it is the act of becoming holy. It is the act of walking closer to God. That's what sanctification is, is to become more Christ-like. We should stay on that road. We should never get off that road in order to make ourselves stronger. We must become doctrinally strong if we are to recognize error. We must build ourselves up by building ourselves a firm foundation of biblical truth. Build ourselves up with biblical truth. We must study God's word, learn how to apply it, and then be willing to do that. Study it, learn it, apply it. That's what we must be willing to do. Acts 20 and verse 32 says this, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And we need to hunger after the word of God. We need to hunger after the true word of God. 1 Peter 2.2 says this, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Do you hunger after the word of God? Or is it just something boring that you sit down and read? 
Or do you truly want to understand? Do you truly want to get in and understand what it's saying? And listen, when you are strong in the Word of God, the Word will make you strong. When you are strong in the Word, the Word will make you strong. And you will overcome. 1 John 2.14 says this, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. He says, listen, you're doing it right. You're in the word. You understand what the word is. You, you are studying it, and you're learning more about God. And then Jude says, so first we got to be in the Word. Second, he says, we need to be in prayer. We need to pray in the Holy Spirit. We need to pray that which is consistent with the Holy Spirit's will, what is consistent with His desire, what is consistent with His law. When we pray, we must submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We must submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And we must depend on his wisdom when we pray. We need to seek his will when we pray. And we must trust his power when we pray. Isn't that what we do? We seek his will. We, we trust his power. We depend upon his wisdom. And then Jude says, we need to keep in God's love. So we need to study his word. We need to pray in the spirit. And we need to keep in God's love if we're going to be protected from these false apostates. Listen, to put it in simple terms, it means that we need to be obedient to God. We need to be obedient to God if we're going to be keeping God's love. You see, God made it very clear that his blessings are only come in obedience. His blessings only come in obedience. John 15, 9 through 11 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be you see the opposite is true if we do not abide in God's law the opposite is true if we are disobedient we move from blessings to discipline Hebrews 12 3 through 11 says this Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that they may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He said, you're getting close. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the dis discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. 
It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, if you're sinning and God is not correcting you, you may not be a child of God. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have trained by it. So he says, listen, live according to God's will. Walk in his path. Be pleasing to God and the blessings of God are poured out upon us. The opposite is true. If we walk outside of God's will, if we're doing things we shouldn't be doing, if we're going against his will, against his law, then he says, listen, just like children who disobey their parents, he loves you enough to discipline you. It's not pleasant while we're going through it, but it's beneficial. I never spanked my children out of anger. I always spanked my children because I loved them. I hated disciplining my children. I hated it. But I also knew it was best for them. I knew it was good for them, and I did it because... I loved them. And finally, Jude says, listen, we should be waiting anxiously, looking for the second coming. We should be anxious. This is what all of this is about. This is why we come to church. This is why we study the Bible. This is why we pray, is to prepare ourselves and to be excited about what we have in the future. That glorious day when we receive our, our glorified bodies. You know what? I'm sick of this body. It ain't nothing but trouble. Every day something else breaks on it. And I can't even run down to the store and buy a new part. I just got to deal with the broken part. I'm ready. I'm ready to have a big throw of a hair on top of my head. Tired of the ball jokes. He says, listen, it's like this great expectation of some great event in the future. I mean, come on. Do you ever get excited about events in the future? Do you ever get excited about your birthday or about Christmas or about a vacation coming up? Do you ever get excited about some event that you have in the future for you? I, as I was preparing this, I, w- I was thinking about Dominic and Talisha. Man, you think they're not excited about a future event that's coming up? You don't think that they're not excited about Mr. Dominic James, as they call him on Facebook? Man, they're excited about a coming event. How much more should we be excited about that future event that we receive our glorified bodies and finally reach the point in in this eternal life that we've been waiting for? He says, be excited. 
Be excited about what's going to happen. Be excited about what's coming. Be excited about what's on the other side. That should alter the way that we live our life. We should want to live a life. How much more should we anticipate God's final mercy and enjoy the fullness of eternal life as we experience the resurrection? Hmm. So next week, Jude is going to help us to help others. First, we have to build ourselves up and make sure that we have ourselves ready. It's never recommended in an emergency situation when you help somebody else to make sure that you keep yourself safe first. And so we have to build ourselves up and make sure that we're prepared before we ever try to step into the lion's den to help somebody else. So this is my, for you today, you need to ask yourself, do an inventory on your life. Do you look different than the world? Is your life separate from this world? Is God a priority in your life? Or is it just something you do on Sunday? Is God a priority? Because this is the thing, it doesn't matter what we say. It only matters what we do. You can tell me all day long that you're a Christian. You can tell me all day long that you go to church. But what does your life look like? Would you stand to your feet? I was hoping that next week would be our last message in Jude. I'm not convinced of that anymore because I thought I would get a little farther today than I did. So one, maybe two more messages, and we will complete Jude. Father, thank you. Thank you for this word today. God, thank you for the encouragement that you have given us, a time of reflection, a time to look at our lives. God, may my life reflect you. God, I pray that when people see me, that they see Christ. I pray, God, if there's anything in my life, God, that I am doing that is unpleasing to you, if there's anything in my life that does not reflect the fact that I am a Christian, if there's anything in my life that people look at and think he calls himself a Christian, God, I pray you reveal that to me. Make it clear to me, God, open my eyes to those things that are unpleasing to you, that are a bad testimony, that are a bad witness to my relationship with you, God. For God, I know that in that, I am strengthened by my relationship with you. I am strengthened in my walk with you. And the closer I walk to you and the the truer I walk on the path that you have laid before me, God, the stronger I'll be in this life and my relationship the more protected I'll be from the lies and the deception of the false teachers. And God, for your sheep, God, for those that are here today, God, may they inventory their lives. May God be a primary in their life and not just a secondary of something we do. May our lives be different because we are Christians. May our speech be different because we are Christians. May our choices be different because we are children of the King. 
God, help us to be a witness to, in a dark world. May our light shine bright, and may we not be just night lights, Father. Now go with us, Lord, as we leave this church. I pray your blessings upon your people today, and may they rest on this day. And we ask all these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.